You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. This episode is brought to you by Palo Alto Networks, the leader in cybersecurity. As AI-driven attacks increase, organizations can't afford to have network security that's stuck in the past. Discover how Palo Alto Networks can help you predict what's coming and proactively secure against it with a zero-trust, AI-powered network security platform built to secure whatever, whenever, wherever. To learn more, visit paloaltonetworks.com slash network security platform. When it comes to ensuring your company has top-notch security practices, things can get complicated and time-consuming fast. Now you can assess risk, secure the trust of your customers, and automate compliance for SOC 2, ISO 27001, HIPAA, and more with a single platform, Vanta. Vanta's leading trust management platform helps you continuously monitor compliance alongside reporting and tracking risk. Plus, save time by completing security questionnaires with Vanta AI. Learn why thousands of global companies use Vanta to automate evidence collection, unify risk management, and streamline security reviews. Watch Vanta's on-demand demo at vanta.com cyber. That's V-A-N-T-A dot cyber. Sentinel-1 attributes the cyber espionage campaign against Russia's FSB to Chinese services. President Biden replaces his predecessor's bans on TikTok and WeChat with a process of engagement, security reviews, and data protection. More on the FBI-led Operation Trojan Shield. Privateering, again. NATO's Article 5 in cyberspace. Joe Kerrigan weighs in on recent high-profile cyber incidents. Our guest is Sashi Kiran from Ariaka on their 2021 State of the WAN report and notes on Patch Tuesday. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Wednesday, June 9th, 2021. CyberScoop reports that Sentinel-1 believes it knows, roughly speaking, who hacked into Russian government networks last year. It was, the security firm says, Chinese espionage services and not one of the five eyes. The espionage group they call the Thundercats gets the credit, Sentinel Labs reports, and it bases its conclusions on what it regards as decisive code similarities to campaigns the APT has earlier used against targets in Southeast Asia. Sentinel-1 researcher Juan Andres Guerrero Sade told CyberScoop, quote, The idea of Chinese targeting of Russian government and vice versa should not shock us. Sino-Russian relations are complex— and involve hot-button issues like a shared border, diplomatic and economic interests, end quote. What is relatively unusual is Russia's decision to publicly call out a hostile espionage operation. 
diplomatic signaling by press release is more common in the West. U.S. President Biden this morning issued an executive order that effectively rescinds his predecessor's bans of WeChat and TikTok. While acknowledging an ongoing emergency, the new executive order directs engagement, security reviews, and data protection instead of outright bans. The FBI's satisfaction at the outcome of Operation Trojan Shield, which featured the use of an encrypted chat app under bureau control to identify criminals who thought they were safe from snooping, is well-deserved. It's also becomingly modest. Most of the bureau's fist-pumping has been done vicariously by its international partners. Most of the offenses were related to drug trafficking. Stuff summarizes the arrests and seizures. Quote, Operation Trojan Shield involved police swoops in 16 nations. More than 800 suspects were arrested and more than 32 tons of drugs, cocaine, cannabis, amphetamines, and methamphetamine were seized along with 250 firearms, 55 luxury cars, and more than $148 million U.S. in cash and cryptocurrencies. End quote. New Zealand's take alone collared senior members of the gangs with picturesque names like Mongrel Mob, Headhunters, and Comancheros. Does the international police sting that collared more than 800 suspects who unwittingly used an encrypted chat app secretly run by the U.S. FBI mean that the underworld will be skittish about using encryption? Probably not. Texas News Today talked to a range of experts who point out that the underworld's track record is to simply move on to other apps when one is known to have been compromised. The FBI's other big success this week was its recovery of a substantial fraction of the ransom colonial pipeline paid the dark side. The feds had the key to one of the wallets the gang used to share profits with its affiliates, and they were able to use that to take control of the altcoin the dark side had deposited there. It's a commendable clawback, but the Washington Post reigns on the parade a little by pointing out that there's no single solution to ransomware. As long as it remains profitable, the hoods will continue to attack. Much recent ransomware activity has been regarded as privateering, state-tolerated criminal activity. The crooks get to keep the money they steal, and the state, and for state, read Russia, gets economic damage to its adversaries. For adversaries, read the United States, among others. State Scoop reports that FireEye's Kevin Mandia told a New York State cyber conference that the U.S. was getting sucker-punched in cyberspace and that this would continue until the nation upped its defensive game. NATO General Secretary Jens Stoltenberg has said this week that a significant cyber attack could trigger NATO's Article 5, the collective defense provision under which the Atlantic Alliance treats an attack against one member as an attack against all members. He also pointed out that NATO exercises now include cyber operations as a routine part of their scenario. The Atlantic Council, where Stoltenberg spoke Monday, outlined his remarks on Russia and China. He sees a dual-track approach to Russia. Quote, A pattern of aggressive actions from Russia has led NATO to beef up its presence on its eastern front and in the Black and Baltic Sea. But ahead of Biden's meeting with Russian President Vladimir Putin, which will follow the NATO summit, Stoltenberg said the alliance must maintain a dual-track approach. We have to be strong, firm, but at the same time, we need to strive for dialogue with Russia because Russia's our neighbor. We have to work on issues like arms control. 
Stoltenberg even raised the possibility of resuming the NATO-Russia Council, a forum for collaborative dialogue that has not convened since July 2019. Quote, So far, the Russians are not answering in a positive way, but we have some contact with them now on the possibility of convening a meeting of the NATO-Russia Council. End quote. Stoltenberg sees China as a different problem. Quote, we need to engage with China on issues like arms control and climate change, and therefore China is not an adversary. End quote. But from a crackdown on ethnic minorities to blocking freedom of navigation, they don't share our values, Stoltenberg added. How should NATO respond? Given Chinese investment in European infrastructure, NATO's 2030 agenda includes stronger guidance for resilience, telecommunications, undersea cables, energy grids, and critical infrastructure, and also investing in and working more on technology, sharpening our technological edge. Researchers at Security Scorecard tell Bloomberg that the R-Evil gang, in the course of their ransomware attack against meat processor JBS, succeeded in taking data from Australian and Brazilian units of the company. Yesterday was Patch Tuesday, and Microsoft addressed 49 issues, five of them rated critical, the rest assessed as important. Six of the vulnerabilities were zero days that have been undergoing active exploitation in the wild. Intel also patched yesterday, addressing 73 vulnerabilities in 23 advisories. Onapsis reports that SAP has issued 20 fixes to its products. Memory corruption issues are among the important vulnerabilities addressed. And Adobe also patched, issuing fixes for 41 vulnerabilities against 10 products. Hey everybody, want to take a few minutes here and talk about our sponsor, Splunk. You know, you need to keep operations humming around the clock, but potential disruptions are everywhere. Splunk helps you predict problems and find and fix issues fast so you can reduce risk and ditch downtime. The world's largest enterprises rely on Splunk's unified security and observability platform to become more efficient, resilient, and innovative. With Splunk, you can react quickly, evolve faster, and be ready for anything. Stay ahead of disruptions. Learn more at splunk.com resilience. In the complex world of enterprise identity, securing legacy web apps at scale can be daunting. Strata Identity makes it simple. With Strata, you can effortlessly integrate non-standard apps with any identity service, like MFA or SSO, with zero coding and zero hassle. Designed by identity architects for identity architects, Strata works with every vendor, standard and app architecture. This means your apps can now speak modern protocols and integrate seamlessly with your chosen identity services. From securing on-prem web apps to migrating away from outdated identity providers or consolidating them, Strata helps you keep your complex access policies as you modernize your identity infrastructure and get rid of technical debt. Join leading organizations like 3M, Dallas County, and CIBC in securing your apps with Strata. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity security priorities, and receive a complimentary pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations with over 5,000 employees. 
Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. Researchers at Ariaka Networks recently published the latest edition of their State of the WAN report, highlighting trends in SD-WAN and SASE planning and deployment. I spoke with Sashi Kiran from Ariaka for some of the highlights. This is something that we use to shape our own uh, roadmap. And um, we have a global presence with customers, a global footprint. And we don't see a report out there in the industry that um, reconciles all the nuances and the trends in a detailed way uh, across different countries and regions. And so it's a good exercise for us to get in front of these trends and use them as a a way to guide our own uh, roadmaps. But at the same time, we also then end up sharing this with uh, customers and prospects and partners and becomes an invaluable thought leadership um, asset for them um, to use in their own planning efforts, which uh, you know is, a, is doubly beneficial as a result. What sort of things are, are you tracking in terms of challenges that folks are facing uh, from a WAN point of view? Uh, the biggest challenge that we have seen, aside from you know complexity, is really the focus on application performance. Um, the WAN is really the lifeblood of the organization. If you look at uh, being able to connect users, regardless of um, which location they're operating from and the kind of applications that they're using. And uh, if you don't have uh, reliable performance, then um, it ends up uh, really having an impact, a negative impact on employee productivity and uh, performance. So that's been sort of top of mind. And we've also seen as more applications became cloud-ready and enterprises adopted a cloud-first approach to their van. They're also moving away from more static protocols like MPLS, which have been around for a couple of decades now, very reliable, focus on app performance. But they're really not meant for change management and dynamic nature of the organizations today where businesses are rapidly evolving. So that has led to you know greater preference towards more agile architectures, SD-WAN and SASE being uh, amongst them. But we've also seen, um, going back to this notion of complexity, that enterprises don't necessarily want to go build out a set of boxes by themselves and manage it by themselves. So we're seeing this increased preference moving towards uh, managed services where they would ideally like to consume these services based on their usage model rather than go with a do-it-yourself approach and uh, manage that inherent complexity. So these are some, you know, top-of-mind things that we saw come out very prominently in this year's report. That's Sashi Kiran from Ariaka Networks. Their State of the WAN report can be found on their website. And joining me once again is Joe Kerrigan. He's from the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute, also my co-host over on the Hacking Humans podcast. Hello, Joe. Hi, Dave. 
So I want to touch base with you today about uh, some of the trends that we're seeing <laughs> when it comes to ransomware attacks. So the, the attackers are upping their game and, and shifting their targeting. What, what do you make of all this, Joe? That's a, what do I make of it? I, I don't know what I make of it yet, but it's an interesting trend. Normally, we see them going after businesses, right? Right, right. And they're targeting businesses who they know have deep pockets. And then they're basing their, uh, they were basing their, their ransom demands based on the company's revenue. They were actually doing a lot of business analysis in order to do this. Right. Now they've kind of shifted from, from doing that to shutting down things to shutting, well, to shutting things down. Yeah. Right. Making it so that uh, services are not available to the general public. Things mm. like the Colonial Pipeline uh, shutdown that uh, was carried out by DarkSide. And then DarkSide saw that, uh, or our evil saw that DarkSide got $4 million out of that. And <laughs> uh, of course, that only incentivizes them to attack. And they've since attacked the uh, the JBS meat plant and, or a bunch of meat plants and as well as the uh, New York subway and Martha Vineyard's ferries. Yeah, yeah. I, I wonder how much of it's intentional. I mean, first of all, it's it's. I guess it's important to note that um, when it came to Colonial Pipeline, it wasn't the ransomware folks who shut down the pipeline. It was Colonial who shut right. down the pipeline because they they couldn't uh, they couldn't do their billing and they were concerned about that. Um, so, and that, that may be a distinction without a difference. The bottom line right. is, the stuff didn't flow. Right, and right? the there was an article in the Wall Street Journal where the CEO explained why uh, he did it. He said they didn't know how far they got into the. Um, got into the system. Mm-hmm. So he thought they may have been in, in the operational technology. Right. So better to be safe than sorry right. and shut things down than, than perhaps have things go really off the rails, right. I guess and, was the rationale. Yes. Uh, agreed. And I think that was the right decision to shut the pipeline down. Yeah. Uh, if you if you don't have faith in the system running it, uh, you shut it down. Same same with the meat uh, the meat plant. There's there's a lot of SCADA systems in there that, you know, when I first heard about this, I'm like, well, what kind of SCADA systems are in a meat processing plant? Mm. But there are a lot. There's a lot of temperature control stuff that is absolutely imperative for food safety. Right. Um, there's there's pumps, lots of pumps that are controlled by these SCADA systems. Mm-hmm. And now these now they're now uh, they're shutting down a ferry system. Uh, this is has a direct impact on on people's mobility. You know, these are things that that impact all of us. And it's it's a change from the uh, almost nameless, faceless ransomware attack on a corporation that oh no now this corporation can't uh, can't do their job and they have to pay some ransom or or have to rebuild all their computers. Now it's uh, things like hey my meat prices are going up, my gasoline prices are going up. I mm-hmm. can't get get where I need to be. Um, it's it's a change, and it's I find it interesting that. Um, you know, right now the Department of Justice is prioritizing these attacks. Right. Uh, they're saying that it's the same level of terrorism. Uh, the Business Insider has a story today saying that uh, the FBI Director Christopher Ray has compared the latest spate of ransomware attacks to the U.S. in the U.S. and to 9/11. Hmm. Um, I, I don't know if that's a valid comparison. I, I'm not sure that very many people have died as a result of these ransomware attacks. Right. But it's uh, it is certainly an attack. It is certainly a series of attacks, and and Dark Side says that they've gone away, right? Yeah, uh, right. That's what they said right. when they were Gan Crab, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so they'll be back. Uh, you know, you don't make four million dollars and then just disappear in this in this in this kind of market. Yeah, I, and I wonder if if they've all sort of gone a bridge too far, or you know, I guess the sports analogy: have they outkicked their coverage in that? 
by doing this, uh, yeah, they got their four million bucks or whatever the ransom was, but now they have the attention of the U.S. government at the highest levels. Right. And, um, you know, President Biden has said he'll be speaking with President Putin about this when they get together in a few weeks. Um, it'll be interesting to see uh, to what degree is he able to apply pressure to try to stop this. Right. Yeah, we'll have to pay attention and see how that goes. Um, it'll be interesting to watch. Yeah. I think it's also interesting how um, it puts ransomware in the larger global scale where, you know, a nation could be, could you, for example, um, the U.S. could put financial pressure on the Russians. The U.S. could uh, have more sanctions on the Russians. Right. Uh, in other words, it's not just sort of tit for tat within cybersecurity. It's reached the point where we're using the other levers of diplomacy that we have right. to try to say, hey, knock it off, knuckleheads. Right. And the, the Russian counterargument to that is these are, these are criminal elements within our organization or within our country. We don't, we don't have control over these guys. You don't yeah. have control over your criminal elements. Yeah. How can you expect us to have control over ours? Uh-huh. <laughs> right. Yeah. Okay. Right. <laughs> I hear uh, you, Dave. <laughs> yeah. I, well, I mean, you know, I, I guess, um, you know, yeah. All right. <laughs> I, I think we all know, uh, you know, how the, to the degree to which we should take those sorts of statements coming right. out of Russia seriously. Yes, agreed. Uh, history has proven us the degree to which we should take those sorts of statements coming out of Russia seriously. So we will. All right. Well, Joe Kerrigan, thanks for joining it's us. It's my pleasure. That's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. The Cyberwire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland at the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing Cyberwire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Managing the requirements for modern security programs is increasingly challenging and time-consuming. Enter Vanta. Vanta gives you one place to centralize and scale your security program, quickly assess risk, streamline security reviews, and automate compliance for ISO 27001, SOC 2, and more. You can leverage Vanta's market-leading trust management platform to unify risk management and secure the trust of your customers. Plus, use Vanta AI to save time when completing security questionnaires. CyberWire daily listeners can get $1,000 off by going to vanta.com cyber. That's V-A-N-T-A dot cyber. <laughs>